Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. Now, if you haven't already done so, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Now, today I'm really, really excited. I've got a very special guest with me inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Coach Lori Locust. Coach Lowe is currently in her second season as the assistant defensive line coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if you aren't a football fanatic, let me just say that Coach Lowe and the defensive coaching staff, they did a phenomenal job last year. And the Bucs ended up having the top rated, that's right, yes, the number one run defense in the NFL, allowing only 73.8 rushing yards per game and an average of 3.26 yards per rush. Now, prior to coaching with the Bucks, Coach Lowe worked as the assistant defensive line coach for the Birmingham Iron of the AAF during their inaugural season, and she also was a defensive line coaching intern for the Baltimore Ravens in 2018. Coach Lowe has held many other coaching jobs as well, but before she coached, she also played women's semi-professional football for four years. And on top of all of that, Coach Lowe is also a mom to two sons, Alex and Bryce. Yeah, she's pretty amazing, right? But enough about me talking about her. Let's hear from Coach Lowe herself. Coach Lowe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And I know it's been a little bit, but, you know, we finally got it together. So I'm, I'm very appreciative to be able to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for making time. I know you guys are currently in the season, so the schedule is a lot busier, but it is, uh, it is great to have you on with us today. So let's talk about how did you get into football? Tell us about that journey and what made you fall in love with the game? Sure. You know, it, it's a question I've pondered a lot because I don't remember a time that I didn't love football. Uh, my father was a golfer. My mother was not an athlete. So I'm not exactly sure where I picked it up from, but I do remember my earliest memories of football. I was a toddler and you know how you kind of have flashes sometimes or memories, but the family always used to go to a local Thanksgiving day rivalry game in the morning. So Thanksgiving morning, we'd all bundle up and we'd go to, it was like kind of like a city championship back in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was John Harris High School versus William Penn. It was a traditional game. And I can remember doing that as a tradition of that holiday for years, you know, and, and just kind of growing up like that that is what we did. And then we'd have Thanksgiving Day dinner and we'd watch football after that. So I'm not exactly sure if I ever remember not being interested in football, but it was just, it's what we did. You know, Pennsylvania is a really good football state. You know, Western Pennsylvania has uh, history teams. Um, Harrisburg, we're closer to Philly. You know, it's just it's kind of what we do. So I just, I think I've always just really loved the game. And um, then, you know, as we were talking earlier, um, off the line, I got a chance to play when I was just about to turn 40. So it, it, it's just sort of been this love affair that's just not ever gone away. Hopefully it won't for a long time. 
And what is it about the game that kind of drew you in? Or I mean, it's a fast-paced game. It's dynamic. There's a lot going on. But was there something that really hooked you and made you want to continue to to watch as a kid, and then obviously to play as you got older? Yeah. Um, <laughs> to say that it's the violence of the game probably doesn't sound right, but um, I there was really kind of nothing like it, you know, and. As much as I know that we have to pay attention to safety and as much as I, you know, would watch after my players and my one, my younger son played the game and I went safety in it, I feel like I kind of grew up in the golden age of football where it was still really like hard-nosed, violent game and there was nothing really like it. So I, I think I was drawn to that because remember, you know, I'm a little bit older <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot else to do. You know, I'd, I'd rip and run around outside and we'd play and, you know, football was part of like the backyard activities. So it was just, I can't really even pinpoint how or why, but I just got hooked and I got hooked when I was like five. So I've been watching the game a really, really long time and been a fan of the game for a very, very long time. And I'm just so very blessed and fortunate to have been able to follow my passion and, and have made it my career and kind of like my life's mission now. And it, that's a blessing. Yeah. So talk to us about how you got on that journey, because you didn't go into coaching right after college. So talk to us about your career progression and then what the turning point was to get you on the coaching path. Sure. You know, I had always played, like I said, in the neighborhood. You know, if there was a pickup game, you know, I was kind of first in line. To play and it wasn't until uh, my 40s well I was just about to turn 40 uh, when the local newspaper had an advertisement that classified like for the participant you could join a bike club or go hiking with this group or that group and I just happened to be looking at it one Sunday and saw that there was an advertisement for a women's football team that was coming to Harrisburg and you know I debated for a while and even when I was driving over the day of the tryouts I really almost turned around a couple of times because you know I think we all go through those those questionings you know like what are you doing you know these women are going to be like half your age and I had been an athlete in high school and you know still worked out I was doing personal training at the time so you know it wasn't that I was questioning that but it, it's just getting back into really being an athlete the way I thought I should be to play football. And here I am, and I'm meeting 50 other women with the same passion from all different walks of life, all different ages, all different ethnic backgrounds, all different financial backgrounds, but we were all drawn there for the same thing. And it was the best couple of years of reconnecting with being an athlete and, and doing a sport, which I love to do, but really kind of bonding and creating this sisterhood within the game that, I mean, my best friends right now are teammates or prior teammates of mine. So um, I, I started the playing, uh, I was a, a linebacker when I first started out and then I moved to defensive end, which is kind of how I started uh, with the D line. But I got hurt in a game against uh, Pittsburgh and I, had some problems with my surgery. Uh, it was my knee. Um, I had four knee surgeries uh, and still just never could get back to playing shape. So I started coaching at the women's level. Uh, and as much as I hated being on the sideline because I wanted to play, it started to kind of like hook me, kind of the way playing did. I liked sort of the chess 
match aspect of coaching and the X's and the O's and the technical side, because you don't get a whole lot of that in the women's league back when I started right now, the women's leagues are very advanced and very technical. And I think it's a great advancement for all the women that are playing the game right now. But I went from coaching at the women's level to high school. Uh, I was at the local high school for almost nine years uh, of coaching. I coached men's semi-pro for six years, both in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and um, in Virginia. I would drive three and a half hours one way to practice just to coach uh, with that team. And then I did arena ball. I did arena in York and Harrisburg and Allentown. And then went from there, I earned the uh, Bill Walsh Fellowship to do the internship with the Ravens. And then was in Birmingham, Alabama with the AAF uh, as the assistant D-line coach there. And then that, from there is when I got the opportunity to come to Tampa as the assistant D-line coach. And talk to us about what were some of the challenges. So it, it's, as you mentioned, it's different being a player versus being a coach. And yeah. there's a lot of skills that you use uh, to be an effective coach, right? So talk to us about what are some of the key things that are in your mind important to be a good coach? Yeah, so I think that everybody individually uh, has a different technique and a different approach and a style. I find that being in corporate I was in corporate for 25 years uh, in, insur in the insurance industry. I find that corporate translates a little bit more sometimes of what people think to coaching now because the organizational skills that you have to have, the, the time management, the reprioritization of your like inbox, so to speak, uh, the ability to get projects done, to know PowerPoint, Excel, and Word, to do presentations and look at reports and analyze data and, you know, really do stratifications on things. Like these are all the things that were part of my daily when I was in insurance. And that aspect sometimes doesn't get talked about enough because you don't just come in and get to walk out on the field. You have to analyze your opponent. You have to know how to take a look at numbers and make a story out of it so that you can explain to your players what the tendencies are. It's, it's very technical on that side of the ball, and you need to be able to have those skills, I feel, and strongly um, really embedded in, in your approach to things in order to go out and then do what would be considered the fun stuff, run the drills, you know, be there for the game, uh, do run the scout team, you know, figure out ways to, to get people in and out of rotation. It, it just kind of all marries together. So I feel like I had that background and I had a lot of levels that I, you know, that I was able to come from, you know, high school ball is different than semi-pro ball. Semi-pro ball is probably the grittiest level of football that you can ever be around. And I felt like to be able to have success at that level, to be able to have athletes that I was able to push into the arena side and really develop them and really get a good reputation at all levels. I felt like I was bringing that with me. And I also think that that's very important to be credible and to be respected. No matter what level you're coaching, it can be youth, it can be, you know, tier one arena, but you have to be able to do the job correctly in order to have your colleagues look at you and refer you as a coach, not refer you as a woman because they think that's the thing to do. 
Great. And did you ever have any challenges? I know you had this corporate background and I have a two decade corporate background as well. And there's so many things that we learn from that that translate into being successful on the field. And you can make the, the case for the other way too, that there's a lot of things that football can teach you to be successful in business. Um, yep. When you talk about people taking you seriously and not just seeing you as a woman, did you ever have someone that didn't take you seriously? And how did you overcome that? If they did, it wasn't to my face. <laughs> The nice thing about my past, even though at times I felt like it was just, like there were days when I felt like the next thing for me or the next step for me was super close. Like I could feel it. I could almost touch it. But then other days it felt like it was a million miles away. So I was very fortunate to be able to have coaches that were in my path or on my path that were very open and didn't have to be sold on me coming in as a coach. Like they sought me out a lot of times to come work with their program. So I feel like that was, we're going to talk, I know about like, you know, giving advice, but I feel like if you work hard enough that your work speaks for you before you even get there, that's what I always strive to do. And that's what I was able to put together. You know, believe me, there were times when it just, it was a lot. I was, you know, raising two boys. I was going through the midst of a divorce. Um, I was working full time and I was coaching football. And that was for years. That wasn't just, you know, every once in a while. That was for years. And I didn't get paid a dime for the longest time. So there were things that I, I had to do because I knew that it was going to be an investment that I had to come out of pocket for. And I just, I don't know that anybody could deny me at least an opportunity to have a conversation with me because of how hard I worked. So knocking on wood right now, I've never had a conversation where I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously or I wasn't being thought of as a candidate for their open position. Gotcha. And earlier you had mentioned when you were going for this tryout for the women's semi-pro team, you know, there, there were thoughts in your head that like, oh, there's going to be people that are, you know, half my age. Do I do right. this? But you kept going. Right. And, you know, from, from just hearing your story, I feel like that was kind of the turning point that kind of put you on this other path, right? But so there are people that are listening to the show that are probably thinking, you know, there's something that I've been wanting to do and I just haven't done it because I've doubted myself or I've made some excuse. And so what advice would you share with them to kind of keep them motivated and keep pushing forward on what they're trying to do? Right. I think that, and, and I don't want to characterize us as women, you know, because we're all individuals as well, but I'll speak on my behalf. I feel like I got to a point in my life where I was so layered over by everyone else's expectations. Like I felt that I had kind of lost who I was. And I think a lot of us can go through that, you know, we're somebody's mother, we're somebody's wife, we're somebody's coworker, we're somebody else's, whatever it is. And we take on all these different roles and you start to be able to lose touch with what used to make you really happy and, you know, what it is that kind of like completes you as a person so that you can be a better, you know, overall like mom and wife and partner or whatever it is. And I just, I felt like I started to take off like layers of winter clothes 
when I started to make some decisions that I don't necessarily know that I would call as selfish because I was always, I always had my kids in the forefront. Like there was never a decision that I made, never a place that I went that I didn't think of them first because they are my priority. They're still my priority. They're my why and my reason that I do this. But what I would tell people now, and especially women, and, you know, listen, I got started late on this. So there's never a too late time frame. And I would say to them, and I've said to my friends, is that you have to start to think about life in terms of why not, as opposed to what if. Because there's a passion that everybody has for something. You know, and whether or not you're, you're fortunate enough to really follow it through and get to, you know, do it the way that you've always wanted to do it, maybe yes, and, and maybe you get close, or maybe you get to do it every once in a while, but if it's important enough for you to do, you can't set it aside, because you have to be whole in order to be whole for other people. And I, I truly believe that if I had turned that car around, I obviously wouldn't be talking to you guys right now. And I wouldn't be in a place where I feel like you're right. I think that was a defining moment because there's so many times we talk ourselves out of doing things that really, truly have our name stamped all over it. And we're letting fear dictate as opposed to really trying to just overcome that first initial step and then just like the possibilities are endless like why not why not try it why not go back to school why not you know get a part-time job in the area that you like like just why not you know what is it that's holding you back and and that's been my advice why not not what if I love that. That's a great piece of advice. And as people get that courage to move forward, it's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be a, a path right. that's got curves and twists and turns and roadblocks. And so uh, can you share with us the time that you faced an obstacle as you were going on this new path and how you overcame it? I think that the darkest part of this journey or the the toughest part of this journey is that I was working for a, a local media group uh, right before I got invitation to do the training camp internship with the Ravens. And it was a six-week commitment, you know, and not too many jobs would be flexible enough to do this. But, you know, I approached it with them and said, you know, this is an opportunity that I really feel like I can't say no to. And is there a way to just, like, take a sabbatical, take a leave of absence or anything like that? And they said, sure. Um, and then they fired me. So um, three weeks before I went to Baltimore, I had no job. I had no benefits. I had no income. I had no nothing. I did as much as I could to consolidate everything that I owned. I sold furniture. I sold my pots and pans. I moved out of my apartment and I stayed in um, a house of a friend of a friend and stayed in a room, you know, so it was kind of just like my little like nest there. And I did everything that I could to make sure that I paid as much as my bills as I could before I went to Baltimore. And I went on blind faith because I couldn't say no to that opportunity. It, it, it's, it was too big. It was too important. And when I came back from Baltimore, I had no job and I couldn't find a job. So I, worked in a pet food warehouse and I walked dogs and I made calls 
every day to coaches that I knew, coaches that I had connected with. You know, I sent emails, I sent my resume out, I tried to, you know, do as much as I could to stay on track or as much as I could stay on track. And things were getting like to a point where I would either have to go back to work full time or it was really going to be a devastating blow. Not to me personally, but like, you know, I'm paying my son's tuition and I'm, you know, paying his car note. And, you know, there were things I knew I needed to take care of. And it was just, I was right on the edge of it. And at that point in time is when I got the call about going to Birmingham to coach. And it's just in, in my mind, it was, it took everything that I could to stay positive, to stay on track but that again could have been that other you know left turn and I was used to those because like you said the path to getting where you want to be and what's worth it is never a straight line so I was I was used to being able to put things to the side and like take you know the side road the scenic route for a little bit before I could get back on you know the main road so I was fully prepared to do that but it it was hard I felt it's hard as a mother, I think, to feel like you can't provide. And I was really close to feeling that heaviness and that weight to a point where I knew I had to do something. So it, it was just, again, it was one of those divine interventions. And that kind of like pushed me through again. And, you know, here we are. Wow, that's a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. I, as I'm listening to you, so I have five kids, single parent, oh, and I, yeah. I left my corporate job uh, last year, good paying corporate job to be an entrepreneur and focus on the Move the Ball brand. So it was a big yeah. risk, right? Yeah. And there, it's, it yeah. has not been a straight line. And we had this thing called coronavirus hit. And oh, so we've had God. to pivot. But you know, it's, it's been a great journey. And I told myself as I was going through it, I said, I am going to have a good story on that. And on the other side of this. So no yep. matter, this is just one more obstacle. It's one more thing that we have to tackle. So what I want to do now is I want to transition to my two minute drill and ask you just seven fun questions. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. I still don't know what superhero I want to be yet, but um, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. My first question is what is your favorite food? I love hard shell crabs and I love crab legs and shrimp. So and Old Bay. Old Bay, for some reason, is a little tough to get down here, so I have to get it off of Amazon. But shrimp and crab and corn on the cob with Old Bay. Favorite. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. How about what is your favorite movie? All the Harry Potter movies, as many times as I can, like, watch them. If it's a marathon in the off-season, that's it. I'm done for the day. Gotcha. How about what is your favorite professional sports team? Pittsburgh Steelers. Gotcha. Yeah, the Steelers, for sure. One of the biggest thrills of my life, because when I was little and playing backyard football, I was Jack Lambert. So I got to meet yeah. Jack Lambert at an autograph signing, and I literally got goosebumps. Like, I don't, I don't really like fangirl often, but yeah. that one, that was huge. That was so huge. He, I just, that was, he was my favorite player. Oh, that's awesome that you got to meet him. All right, my next question is, what is the best piece of advice you've been given by a coach or a mentor? I'm not going to swear. I promised myself I'm not going to swear. Do your effing job. And that was said with love and respect. But it, it does resonate where, you know, you focus on the things you can control. You play what's in front of you. You know, using football vernacular. You can't 
worry, you know, somebody else isn't going to do this, that, or the other. When it comes down to it, you have to do your job in order for the team to win. So just do your job. Yes, agreed. And then yeah. I'm going to flip it now and ask, what's the best piece of advice that you would give someone? Don't ever give up. If it means something to you, find a way and just be persistent and persevere. It's going to happen. Nice. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you hear all these stories of successful entrepreneurs and business leaders, and they talk about how they just, you know, even through the darkest times, they just trusted the process. They had their yeah. faith and they kept going. Yep, absolutely. All right. My next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, that's a good question. When I was home, I do like to cook. I feel like that's playing in to like all the people that were really like mean when I got the job and said, make me a sandwich, but I really do like to cook and um, I find it to be cathartic. So when my son used to have friends over uh, before COVID you know, or I was home with friends, that's one of the things that we always like to do together is just get a lot of people together and just cook huge meals and just sit around and talk and eat. Eating is a good thing too, but uh, I do like to cook. Is there a dish that you like to, to make, a favorite that you like to cook? Uh, you know, my upbringing was kind of eclectic. Uh, it was like Pennsylvania Dutch and Southern. So I make really good cornbread and collard greens and peach cobbler. Gotcha. You're making me hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last question is, and I know you've been thinking about it, if you could be a superhero, uh, who would you be? I was hoping no. Um, <laughs> I don't even know any anymore. And like the ones I know are like older than I am. Um, I don't know, like the get everything done in the blink of an eye girl. It's cliche to say Wonder Woman because that's kind of what you have to feel like when you have like 8,000 jobs uh, in front of you. Um, I would like to fly. So maybe Supergirl woman, not Superman. Supergirl. Supergirl. Yeah, <laughs> let's do Supergirl. Yeah, okay. and then I could help other people and I'd get to fly, so that would be kind of cool. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. So as we end today's show, any last thoughts for our listeners? You know, listen, I appreciate all that you do, and I find that it's just it's really extremely valuable to have conversations like this with somebody else who's authentic and it's following their passion as well. Uh, it's just, it's so refreshing because I just feel like, and I had this conversation just the other day, um, when I was growing up, there was so much emphasis placed on, we're gonna fight through a glass ceiling. We're gonna break through a get glass ceiling. And I feel like the young women right now that are coming up and kind of following through, they say glass ceiling, but they don't really have it. Like they think they have it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like we just need to continue to open the door. We need to be able to prepare ourselves to not only open the door itself by ourselves, but we need to be able to walk to the door and open it ourselves because we shouldn't ever have to feel like we need to kick down doors or break glass because in my mind that says we're not prepared to be on the other side of that door. So work together support each other. Let's get ourselves better and more prepared. And then, like I said, possibilities are endless. I just think we all need to kind of like see what the strengths are and just kind of keep pushing forward. RIP, RBG. We're all in this together um, and just really excited to get back out 
on the field, and I really do appreciate the time. Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on Tampa Bay's recent win. Um, looking you. forward to seeing more wins. And uh, just so you know, I had Khalil Davis on my show back oh, in the okay. spring. I did a gotcha. special path to the draft series. And so nice. Khalil and his brother Carlos, uh, who's yeah. with the Steelers, uh, yep. They both were on, on the show talking about their background as they got ready for the draft. So it's neat to see both of them uh, being able to play in the league. Absolutely. And he's a good kid. He's a good addition to our room. He's got a bright future in the league. Great. Well, thank you again for being on the show, Coach Lowe. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much again for being patient and have a good night. Stay safe. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We will catch you next time. Make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.